0: Welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. I'm Pete Clark, your host, The Whispers Guy. It appears that work expands to the time that we give it. And I started to explore how I was investing my time and effort, particularly on Fridays. It's evolved to an explanation, and experiment with time, energy, attention and identity. And a mindset shift from I have to, to I choose to. So if you're interested in exploring some changes to the way that you invest your time and your energy, if you'd like some tips on the way as you make some changes perhaps to your identity, if you would like the freedom of I choose to away from I have to, then this is the podcast for you. So welcome to the Freedom Fridays Project podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast. This is episode 41, and it's the trilogy finish. It's part three of three in my conversation with Karen Gately, a fellow facilitator, a fellow change agent, uh, a fellow good all-around human trying to serve humanity in our best way that we can think of. So in question, in episode three, I talk. we talk more about some of the aspects that we believe leaders Would benefit from when they get to that junction point of allocating task and resource? Which way do they go? Do they give it to the person with the most capability or do they give it to the person with the least capability? And what are some of the key understandings of humans and people that we think would help their people leadership role? So enjoy, this is episode 41, part three of my conversation with Karen Gately. that's maybe an interesting pivot into some of the work that you and I do in corporate, Uh, because in corporate, you know, they're supposedly time poor, lots of things on. The default is often give the task to the busy person or give the task to the person that's got the most capability to get the job done, whereas what we've just explored a little bit is, well, actually, you should give it to the person that's got the least capability because they're going to learn the most. They're going to grow the most. But I just can't see that happening.
1: Well, because of the economics of it, right? So, um, and it, the, the, the big change that would need to happen is time frame. So if I'm measuring financial success in the next quarter, in the next year, then I'm going to be very concerned about what is the profit return on this particular individual in their job reflected in productivity. Whereas if I have a long-term focus of success, then I'm going to have greater tolerance, respect for, and patience with teaching and coaching. So one of the challenges that, that leaders need to get past is I'm too busy to slow down, to coach and guide my people. It's quicker if I just do it myself. It's quicker if I just you know, give it to the person who already knows how to do it. We don't mm. have the bandwidths. And my argument is, well, if you actually want to evolve as an organization and you ultimately want to be in better and better places over time and achieve your aspirational goals, then you've got to figure that out. You've got to actually forge capacity for learning. Yep. And if you've got capacity for learning, then people are more likely to learn. Funny about that. Funny that um, funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're more likely, um, as we're saying, to be given opportunities to have a go experiment learn by actually having their hands on the tools and, and making stuff happen or not mm. and then having the coaching support around them you know so that the the right people can actually offer guidance and advice but until mm. organizations choose to actually slow down enough you know that's take us a little bit off this insane rate of growth in businesses and you know, year-on-year year growing profit levels. Let's just take a little bit of that off and invest it back into the business being amazing. And, you know, the long-term consequences of that, I'm absolutely convinced, will be we'll have stronger, yeah. better organisations having a, a much healthier impact on human beings yeah, and the planet, et cetera. So um, it's just getting it done and getting it done yesterday and optimising the dollars yeah. that we get it done in the shortest timeframe frame is why we we don't want to do that in, that investing on in a real level.
0: I think for me, it's, it's affirming something I believe, which is if there was not to ignore the top line or the bottom line, but rather than focus necessarily on commercial growth all the time, you focused a little bit on internal growth of the individual, it would far outweigh the commercial growth you could achieve anyway.
1: Totally. When I think about growth with the organisations we work with, we are talking about growing outcomes through growing humans. Mm. So, and those outcomes are we're growing our maturity in terms of our operational excellence. We're growing our bottom line, our top line. You know, um, we're we're growing things in in the right directions and and obviously a key part of that is we're growing our knowledge our skills our experiences our experience and the strength of our spirit as a team Mm. so all of that growth is necessary for us to be moving forward as an organization to maintain Mm. not only relevance but to keep thriving in a world that is constantly changing and changing changing at pace we need to keep evolving and growing you know Mm. I just think it's foundational to the way we think about that we are a, an organism that needs nurturing in order to be- I, I
0: have a point of view Karen I'd be interested in your perspective on it um that decision point that we talked about 10 minutes ago about you know what's the purpose of this is it to get the task done therefore give it to the most capable person it's done quickly is the purpose to grow this person then you might give it to the person who's got the least capability you know both are And there's probably other outcomes that might come out of it. And I sense that the leader or the person making that decision at that junction point needs to have a little bit of an awareness, some knowledge, some understanding of how humans operate. (laughs) And and I'm saying that broadly because I've always felt felt that leaders get this position of people leader, and it's kind of an add-on. And they don't understand or are willing to explore or really explore not only themselves, but by doing so, they are no idea what's going on for that other person in allocating that task to get it done or grow. And so I've said for years that, you know, as part of your people role, you have to do some psychology. You have to do some (laughs) work in yourself. You have to do some understanding of what it means to be human. And all of the neuroscience and the behavioral science that we now know And here's you and I, perhaps in business, because that's what we've done and we're studying it, and teaching it and sharing it, whereas they rely on us to come and share it with them. What if they did that internally?
1: Totally. And and this is, (laughs) you know, again, the reason I laugh is because to me it's so logical, right? I know, me too. It's like saying um, you're going to be a machine operator with no insight to how the machine works. It's the same thing because leadership, its the clue is in the name. You're actually leading. And what are you leading? You're leading resources to achieve outcomes. Well, inanimate objects don't have brains. You can't interact and communicate with them. You have to get humans to pick those things up and apply them. So in order for us to be a leader, we have to achieve outcomes. Now, sometimes we have direct report staff and sometimes we have people that we are influencing Because they're they're stakeholders that aren't directly in our team, right? So I can still be a leader of a project without having employees per se, but I will be influencing stakeholders. I will be influencing decisions and priorities and progress, which all of that requires that I'm influencing people. So you know, one of the things that always again makes me laugh is when I hear a CEO or a board member say, oh, you know, they're they're really they're really great in their role, they're a high performer, they're not that great with their people though. <laughs> so, so and my response to that is so they're an individual contributor. Yeah. And they're a really smart, clever, clever one. Oh, yeah. no, no, I wouldn't say they're that. You know, the, so it's what we expect of leaders is the starting position right? So I'm not going to make you a leader if I expect that ultimately you're going to be able to have that influencing ability and Mm. to drive outcomes through the talent, energy, engagement of other human beings. If If that's what I see as the primary objective of a leader, I'm going to be more inclined to look for, do you have the potential to grow into that over time if you're not already that person? Do you have a desire to go down that path? Are you willing to take Ownership for the success of other people, and and again, as we're saying these projects. So, um, I think one of the biggest issues is is that we don't have genuine alternative paths to climb the corporate hierarchy. So, you know, we have to become a leader in order to advance in our salary levels, in terms of our influence around decision making. Yes, you know, the way our organisations are structured and organised. Um, it's difficult to be a technical guru and still have clout without taking on the role of people leadership. So look, I think there's a whole bunch of work for HR departments to do with their leadership teams around solving that problem. Um, I think there are solutions to that problem, Um, but until we actually resolve that in each industry, we're going to have highly technically competent people sitting in leadership roles, ignoring the job in many instances And let alone learning about how people feel and why they feel the way that they do and how to influence that. I mean, I meet leaders all the the time, which I'm sure you do as well, that really have no interest in people's emotions. Yep. Which which is, you know, again, a bit like saying I'm going to operate this machine, but I have no interest in the fact that it has glitches and breakdowns. I just have no interest in that. It's like, well, it's naive.
0: Karen, do you think you can be a good, not even great, people leader, even if it's just a bolt-on to your role, without doing some work on yourself?
1: Um, so very rarely have I met somebody that is just a super wise soul, but they do exist. You know, mm-hmm. some, some people are born incredibly emotionally intelligent i'm sure you will have met young people yourself where you're like yeah you you get the stuff i've certainly met kids where it's like i wish i could roll you out to the corporate world come have a chat to a few of these ceos with emotional intelligence so i think some people are are very self-aware empathetic great at that interpersonal engagement and therefore there will always be skills that even those people need to develop the communication skills, you know, tactics to deal with people's emotional responses or whatever it might be. Um, But not everybody has to have done hard work on their emotional development and journey or self-awareness in order to be effective, but most do.
0: Um, Karen, I'm really conscious of time and I'm really conscious and grateful you were able to spend some time on on a public holiday because um, you're based in Melbourne. And a really simple question. Is Melbourne the only city in the world that has two public holidays for sporting events?
1: Well, this is your challenge. Is I am sorry, <laughs> yes, I believe so. But I'm the worst person to ask because I'm working today. Like I think it's I think it's silly too. Um, yeah. as for having a holiday because we're having a grand final on the Saturday. I just think that is um, it's, it's, it's funny is my best yeah. response so yeah. I don't know what we were thinking in what in what ways we were trying to kid ourselves when that policy decision was made but it is what it is I guess
0: I've got a few quick fire questions Karen just to close this off if you'd be if you'd indulge um sure. what's one of the last movies you laughed at oh
1: Shrek, because I watched it really recently and it just, it's just cold.
0: <laughs> and what's one of the last movies you cried at?
1: Uh, I'm, it was one of the um, Marvel movies. I'm just trying to remember which one it was, but one of the Marvel movies. I'm not right. a great movies person.
0: Okay. Um, as an ex-pe teacher, what's your favorite sport that you like teaching?
1: Oh, they like teaching. Mm. I loved archery.
0: Okay. (laughs) Maybe not a good one to try with young kids.
1: I think there was a blend with the martial arts.
0: Right. I was so excited
1: when we were doing that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, the sport you hated teaching.
1: Synchronized swimming.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because you couldn't demonstrate it. It's too hard. It's too hard. Too hard. Um. You talked about mastery and mastery of being your best self. What's you know a, a one or two or three word maxim that you'd have to live by in order to be masterful?
1: Oh, the pressure to come up with just a couple of words, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: um,
1: personal accountability and kindness.
0: Cool. And one of the books that's changed your life? Just one. One of.
1: Um, I would say Jim Collins, good to great. I just thought it was so revealing of the facts, you know, the link between Mm. leadership, mindset, behavior, attitude, culture,
0: Mm.
1: and the results that come from that.
0: Karen, it's been a pleasure. And as I kind of suspected, we've gotten into flow and extended beyond what we thought we might have. Uh, Thank you for your time, uh, your transparency and authenticity. It shines through because I can see you on the screen. And we'll put all the corporate dojo notes and any links in, in the show notes. But for now, Karen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. So that's part three, three of three, my final conversation with Karen Gately. And it has left me pondering for myself a number of questions again. And I'm going to share some of those questions with you at the end here and maybe give you some space to, you know, write them down or spend a moment thinking about them. And and I'm starting with that question of a future self. If you were to imagine catapulting yourself into the future, you know, a day, a month, a year, 10 years, whatever it might be, whatever timeline you're comfortable with or not maybe a timeline you're not comfortable with what would that future self look back and advise you to do today with a certain dilemma or conundrum or challenge or issue that you face because my experience is usually our future self has the benefit of hindsight has the benefit of experience has the benefit of others who've navigated that particular challenge or issue And even just taking a moment to pause and think, how would a future Pete handle the situation that he's in now? If you could jump in a time machine and ask that person for advice, what would they say? Would they ask? Would they tell? Would they stay silent? Would they offer a story, analogy? How would that counsel, how would that conversation help you even at least right now, pondering that with some of the challenges and issues that you're facing. The second question that I'm pondering, again, <laughs> at this stage in my life is the, my definition of success and how it's, and how much it's influenced that I'm aware of with external factors, practical factors, you know, paying the bills, putting food on the table, the real aspects of that and the metaphorical aspects of that versus the internal definitions of success around fulfilment and meaning and connection and compassion and serenity and peace. And I, it's reminded me again how challenging that toggling between those definitions, for me certainly, has been. And I find myself sometimes focusing on the internal fulfilment, the inner fulfilment aspects, and then recognising I've got a big tax bill to pay, (laughs) so wondering how on earth I'm going to pay it. Um, And then catapulting back into post a conversation with Karen or a book that I might read going, and what if I allowed the universe to come through me? And then my daughter's doing her last exams at school, thinking I just need to be there (laughs) in order to support in any way I can or through that so that constant toggling between internal and external definitions of success and I observe quite a number of people defining that definition with a quite a large timeline a year 10 years life which I'd be advocating in some sense I'm also pondering and in pondering I wonder if you can ponder this too What if it was just the next hour or the next moment or with my to-do list or being present in a conversation with someone you care about despite all the distractions? I wonder if there's many different factors that would define our success. And even asking that question moment by moment or minute by minute or whenever it's appropriate. What would make me feel good? What would be what would success look like, feel like, sound like in this next half day? I wonder if that is something. Certainly, me. Anyway, I could ponder more on. And the third question that I'm, I think I'll continue to ponder. Um, it may well be a a longer, more iterative journey for me. Is when I seek, when I go to discover. And I'm willing to look, I'm willing to go to the edge and look. I don't know if I've necessarily been in the ditch, as Karen described, Uh, although some of my backstory you could argue probably was. But in being willing to look, how comfortable am I at putting the aspects of myself that I don't particularly like, that that don't resonate, that I see in others that reflect me? How willing am I to respect them? and try and understand them, and not necessarily make friends with them, but accept there's a role to play, and it's trying to teach me something. And my cognitive and emotional and physical ability to put that part of me in the passenger seat as opposed to the driver's seat, if I can hold it outside myself as opposed to inside myself, then I'm more able to distinguish the helpfulness or the hindering of that aspect of me and it's often an uncomfortable self-conversation actually when we reflect on some of the things we don't like about ourselves why would we want to reveal that why would we want to bring that out into the open and I don't know if I know the answer to that question um, suggesting that I've been willing to at least ponder and wonder and at least take a few steps and peer in to what those might be and maybe not liking what I see sometimes, the willingness to even stay there and look and be with it and accept that it's not a great look and it's not a good aspect of me that I would abhor in other people. But being willing to stay with it and put it in the passenger seat because it serves me in some way. I don't yet know how or where or when or with who, but it serves me in some way. And so maybe that's something for you to ponder. When you think about the imperfections, the bits of you that you don't like, and I don't mean physically, I mean the ways that you act, the ways that you behave, that you intend not to, and it shows up under pressure or when you're tired or you're busy or there's some concern, anxiety, fear or dread kicking if you do this particular action, this might happen and we'll do everything we can to avoid that happening. Is there a way you can at least welcome, open a door for that person, that part of you to sit alongside? And the fourth thing I'm pondering is probably a a never-ending journey for me is the understanding of humans, not least myself. And and not from a narcissistic perspective, not from a, hey, look at me perspective, more from a, the more I understand about myself myself, the more I understand one, what I'm projecting, and two, what others might be experiencing. And a question I was asked recently that really (laughs) kind of slapped me around a little bit was, what's it like to be on the receiving end of you? And uh, I ignored the question at the start because I probably didn't like what maybe the answer could have been with certain people in certain situations. But as I've become, as I've let that question sit, what's it like to be on the receiving end of me? I've become a morsel, (laughs) a tiny little bit more comfortable about some of the answers and some of which I'm pleased about and some of which I (laughs) will do everything to rebut. And so that's my final question for you to consider. What's it like being on the receiving end of you? And that might be a reflection on others, but also what's it like being on the receiving end of you, in you, which is kind of a double negative. It's kind of asking you to think about how you think about and treat yourself. And so again, I wasn't expecting to say so much at the end here, but that's the end of episode 41, my third conversation with Karen Gately. Hope that's been enlightening or at least useful And please, if you've enjoyed it, if you've enjoyed what we're doing here at the Freedom Fridays podcast, please subscribe and like us on all your favourite podcast platforms. Thanks very much. See you next week.